Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. And it's wonderful to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life of a very special Australian sports person. Not often we have people on this program who've played less than 20 games of football. But my guest today certainly qualifies to be here to talk about her sporting life. Daisy Pearce, welcome. <laughs> yeah, it makes it sound interesting when you sum it up like that, yeah, doesn't it? Normally but... we're talking about 300 yes. games or a couple of hundred <laughs> games, but you've made your impact. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, our impact for a long time as female footballers and female sports people has been quite low profile and, I guess, underground for a long time. So it's only been in the last couple of years. And for those, how many is it, 13 games I think I've played for Melbourne that um, it's had any spotlight beyond the community level. So it's been wonderful, I suppose, although I would have loved to have played all my games at at AFL level. um, I guess it's been wonderful to... to be involved in this era where I've seen both ends of the spectrum. When I first started playing women's football as a 16-year-old because there were no junior junior clubs or junior competitions um, and I, I had to almost do investigating <laughs> to find out that there was a league um, right through until now where, you know, weirdly I'm a household name and um, there's so many high-profile female footballers and athletes and all the codes are doing a great job at promoting their, their female teams. So is that feeling all a bit surreal, the fact that it's happened it hasn't happened overnight, but the, the acceleration has happened so quickly. So you've gone from, as you said, almost underground to this profile, not only personally, but the game itself. Has it seemed a bit surreal, the journey in oh, the ab- last 18 months? Absolutely surreal. And uh, uh, I mean, the, the process itself to getting this point certainly hasn't happened overnight. I, I know for a fact, and having been involved in trying to promote and you know increase the opportunities we've got, and, and also having had some great role models showing me the way and, and doing that before me, I speak of Debbie Lee, Peter Searle, wonderful people within... Um, female football who have done a lot of that that groundwork for us. It certainly hasn't been overnight. It's been a case of, you know, three steps forward, two steps back a lot of the time and, and knocking on doors and receiving the answer no half a dozen times before they got breakthroughs but thankfully they they persisted but yeah it's it's almost felt like I've gone 28 years of my life with no one giving two hoots about <laughs> what I did on a football field to yeah. you know within 12, a, a six month period 12 month period I, I guess um, everyone knowing about it and tuning in and and kind of taking interest so it's been a, a crazy change in that you 
I didn't take up football whilst as a kid it was a dream. I realistically didn't play football thinking that this was going to be part of the package. <laughs> I played football because I loved it and I was competitive and I wanted to be the best athlete I could be within the the opportunities I had. You compare that to a, a 16-year-old boy who thinks he's going to get drafted, the, the um, recognition and profile is just part of that package. So you're preparing for it from that young age, whereas for a lot of us it's almost been thrust on us. Does out that of nowhere. Sit, does it sit comfortably with you? Because we often talk about role models in sport and, and some people don't like to be referred to as a role model. That's been thrust upon you and there's probably nothing you can do about it. Does it sit all right with you? Yeah, it sits well with me, mainly because I was a, a young aspiring athlete who, I mean, I tried every sport out there and, and was absorbed by every sport I, I had to go at. And when the Olympics came around, I, I sat there, you know, totally absorbed and loved Kathy Freeman. But other than her, within the sports that I loved, cricket, footy, I didn't have many actual role models. I had heroes, people that I looked at and cheered for and admired, but no one that I actually thought I could be. So whether it's right or wrong or, you know, whether I chose it or not, I love now that there are little girls out there that look up to me and us. So for me, that that's it's a privilege and, and something that I take a lot of responsibility in, in that there are young girls out there now who, who have what we didn't have. And I think it's going to be great for them, not just in terms of what they can achieve in on the football field. I mean, it's redefining the athletes that are coming through now. They're coming through with this real-life ambition that, that they're going to play sport at the high level, but also what they do in their lives. I think it's it's great, particularly in football and cricket and these traditionally male-dominated fields to see women excelling and, and really being celebrated for for what they're doing competitively and physically and, and what they can achieve. So I think it's breaking down a lot of those barriers in terms of what what young girls think that they can set their mind to and achieve and, and where where and how they can be celebrated. So it's it's strange um, to go out into schools and have little people look up at you and, you know, not be able to string a sentence together. You feel yeah. like saying, I'm just a normal person. But, um, yeah, it's a, a wonderful privilege and something that I, I take a lot of pride in. It's important for people in any walk of life to have people that they can confide in, that they can identify with, and in turn that identification comes back. Do you talk to anyone like an Elise Perry or, or some other high-profile female sporting person whose profile has gone through the roof to just almost workshop ideas of what you're both going through and the acceleration in your profile and development? No, I haven't. I mean, it's something that I would certainly be open to. Um, I've got some great supports within my family or, you know, friends, but I, I guess not necessarily someone that's been through a similar journey as, you know, within the community of us female footballers. We've I've got a lot of friends and you know, having played at Darabin for 10 years, some of the other really high-profile girls within the sport, Darcy Vessio, Katie Brennan, Melissa Hickey, um, these girls that have, have gone through a similar thing, we're always sharing notes and um, riding the ups and downs together. So it's wonderful having their supports. And then also mentors more generally. It's It's good to have people from all different fields that you've touched at different points, whether it be through sport or work or both, um, to just 
you know, run things by, whether it's pertaining, whether, whether they can relate to the sport element or not. I think, um, yeah, it's been great having people, leaders, I, I guess. Um, Debbie Lee, I mentioned a couple of times. Mm. She's been a great support. Peter Jackson at the Melbourne Football Club's a mentor of mine. Hamish McLaughlin in the media. I've had some some wonderful people from all all different areas that have helped me out along this journey. I'm going to talk about your career in the media a little bit later on because you're going to be heard on this station quite a bit more throughout the 2018 season, but we'll touch on that a little bit later on. You mentioned Darcy Vessio. Just before we came in, I was standing out in the office and the commercial, uh, that commercial, the <laughs> retro commercial came on. And Darcy's in it, and of course you were in it. Was that a hoot to oh, do was, that? It was great. It's not very often. I mean, those I was blown away, you know, talking about how this is all new to me. The first ad or filming day that I did, I could not believe that what was 10 hours' work recording the same thing over and over again boiled down to a 20-second Get <laughs> little used clip. to it. That's the so media So that was a slap over. in the face. And <laughs> after do, having done a few more, while well, she'd never complain. I mean, they're... They're, you could be doing worse things. They're long days. But this one was genuinely fun. And the the costumes and the wigs, and it was just an absolute hoot. But I loved the concept as well. I think it was really fun to work on because I I could see that it was going to have a huge impact. Because I think when we, when we speak about how wonderful it is that this AFL women's competition has gotten off the ground... We, we often default to saying how great it is for the young girls. I mean, they've got this competition to play in. But you go out and speak to eight, ten-year-old girls, and they they kind of say, "Well, of course we're going to play footy. What are you? What's so special about that?" Because mm. beautifully to them, it, it's normal, which is a good thing. But it's the the older generation of women who who fell in love with the game in the sixties. 70s, 80s, 90s, like what's shown in the in the NAB ad, they're the ones that wanted to play footy and couldn't and missed out. So this competition, I think, has been you know so uplift, uplifting for them. So I think the ad really strikes a chord amongst that generation because it looks and feels and sounds like football when they first fell in love with it, but it's women playing and it's it's some of the, the faces and names that they know from the competition now. So I think it's it's pretty clever and special the way they went about it and it was <laughs> wonderful to be a part of, no matter how much stick that I got for my little beehive <laughs> kind of setup that I had. No, it's very becoming, very becoming. Now, we've been chatting for nearly 10 minutes and I haven't mentioned the game from yesterday and I'll tell everybody why because you haven't played it as we sit here and chat at the moment but you've got a huge game coming up on the weekend. Oh massive game it's um, essentially a prelim final I mean there's no final series within AFL women's but it's as simple as whoever wins is is in the grand final so it's a huge game um, against a Dogs team that we really, Western Bulldogs team that we really respect, and I think fitting and and all the more special and big of an occasion because it is the two clubs that I guess have pioneered in this space through the AFL Women's Exhibition Series. So yeah, massive week and oh, just can't wait to get into it. This is the bit I don't like the the waiting and planning and <laughs> trying not to overthink it. But oh, hopefully by the time you're hearing this, I'm preparing for a grand final. Let's but. hope so. <laughs> When the season started, because of your profile, the minute there was any criticism, you became the go-to person for a lot of the reaction to the reaction, if you like, because there was all of that talk about it's too negative, it's too low scoring, and everybody called on you. What did you make of all those comments after one 
round after the first round and in some cases only one or two games. Yeah, I mean, I've, I found it a challenging little period and I'm naturally a bit defensive because um, I'm of the argument that any sporting team or in any competition, you're never playing your best football or, you know, sport at the beginning of that competition, you usually work into your groove. So I'm very much of the opinion of let's just let it iron out and let's wait, which I would argue that what we've now seen for the rest of the competition, much more higher scoring, free-flowing matches. As a player in that competition, I can tell you right now, I don't think about the structural <laughs> adjustments that the AFL made us to make. And I, I would say it's having little bearing on what we're seeing I think it's just merely a case of a bit more time on the block more time to play within the teams that we are because this comp's still in its infancy there was broad scale change at nearly every club in terms of the personnel that are going out on the park when we debuted in round one we had seven debutants or six debutants and so it just takes time to gel and connect with that team it's just give things time and I didn't like it not not necessarily like I wasn't hugely anti the memo or the adjustments that were made for the AFL but to me it gave off the impression that it was broken and that it needed intervention to fix it which I completely disagreed with I think ultimately we just need time time within this season time for the girls that have had you know the the luxury of playing across junior football and talent pathways to come through in the draft, which we're seeing already. Um, and I, yeah, it's it, we just need patience. And I think the AFL for a long time had been great at um, asking people to celebrate it for what it was and calling on that patience to to you know really sell that this was a start up competition that was only going to get better. And it felt like it sort of flipped on ahead pretty quickly after mm. that first round. And, it, yeah, just in reaction to, like you said, a, a very small sample. We're going to take a break, and then I want to take you back to when you were that daughter, that young daughter, kicking a football and having dreams and your football journey, and we'll see where it all began. Daisy Pierce is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Back with more with Daisy after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. What a pleasure it is to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals and you can visit tobinbrothers.com.au or call 93737000 for more information. Daisy Pierce is my special guest. Daisy, where did the football journey begin? Where did you grow up? Oh, well, at a very young age, Peter, up in um, a little town called Wandilagong, which is about six kilometres outside of Bright, a beautiful little town nestled yeah. up underneath our um, mountains and snowfields in northeastern Victoria. So a uh, great place to grow up as a kid. Um, spent many and years and nights after school down at the river and swimming in the school uniform. So it was a beautiful <laughs> little place, um, and I feel very blessed to have grown up there. But, yeah, the footy... I think like a lot of regional country, particularly Victorian um, towns, the footy club was just the heartbeat of our whole community and every hero or every celebrated hero within our community was a footballer at the footy club, yeah. generally speaking. And my dad was had been heavily involved he, as a player and 
I had you know, brothers, brothers either side of me, and my older brother, Harry, who's two years older in particular, we were always a similar height, both very competitive, and people often thought we were twins, so that just set up this you know, rivalry from a very young age. Everything he did, I wanted to do better, whether it was sport, schoolwork. Um, I was always keeping an eye on what grades he was getting and making sure that I was getting better than him when I got my chance. Um, and yeah, any sport he did, uh, much to his disgust, he had this little sister that would follow along and tag <laughs> along and do it with him. But um, So that's where footy began. I would tag along to training initially and just train. I wasn't allowed to play because I was a girl and there weren't any girls teams back then, but um, would tag along to training. That extended. I, I slowly weaseled my way to having my own hand-me-down uniform of his that I would wear to the game on match days on a Sunday morning, freezing cold in winter up there. Sometimes we'd get snow and... Yeah, it can get a bit chilly yeah. up there. <laughs> um, yeah, so then I'd just sit on the bench or do the warm-up and then sit on the bench in my little uniform and felt like I was playing. Eventually, Dad started coaching our under-13s team, which was the youngest age group that you could play junior football up there for anyone. So as an eight-year-old sitting there on the bench... Um, gradually that, that kind of caught on and there were lots of younger siblings sitting there on the bench. Sometimes there'd be 20 kids on the interchange. <laughs> um, and other clubs would be in a similar position because it was the youngest age group. And it got I, I remember still the two coaches, I'd be sitting there waiting for the signal, but they'd give, give each other the nod with about five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And that was, yep, anyone can go on now. And on we'd all run. So there'd be nearly 50-odd kids running around <laughs> on the same field. In my mind, I was playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and th it was through that that I kicked my first ever goal, actually. I remember um, just charging straight down to the goal square and parking myself there without an opponent. And this ball came in. <laughs> Ashley Cooper was the name of the guy that kicked it, just as a side note. But it was definitely going to go through. But I marked it on the chest and turned around and booted it through. And it was just absolute elation. So, um, yeah, playing as an extra eventually moved on to oh hang on a minute she can play and why can't why can't we put her out there and eventually I became a part of the the real team and and it went from there did you face any reluctance from the boys or did you face any uh, chatter out there about the fact that there was a girl out there playing this boys game not from my own team I think because I'd been such a permanent fixture at the footy club and as had our family and it being a very small little school community people had just accepted me um, I was a tomboy and all my mates were the boys in the team anyway so within the the players themselves and my team themselves, I only ever felt really supported. Um, occasionally against some of the teams a little bit further out of town who didn't really know you or hadn't come across you before, you'd get snide little comments, oh, shotgun playing on the girl or something like that. So that was probably my first taste of any kickback, which I always had an awareness that I was a bit different and didn't like that kind of thing, but um, I was able to just put it to the side and get on with the job and was just so rapt to be out there. And then the only other thing that I I remember, and this is only on reflection, I, I must have been buffered from it or 
gotten really good at ignoring this kind of stuff as a young kid. But now when I think back, I do remember conversations between mum and dad and other parents and, and them saying how irresponsible it was and, oh, don't you, don't you feel like she's going to get hurt and all that kind of thing. But for every conversation that went on like that, dad would just push me in harder or ramp up the training at home to make sure it wasn't the case. Hmm. And it probably made you more determined being the personality that you were, the more they told you that you couldn't do something or you shouldn't be doing something, it made you more determined to do it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of shaped me and um, the other things that I've gone on to do off the field. I think you get used to that feeling of being different and uncomfortable and, and that being okay. And I think that's been a great lesson. Um, I was rewarded for sitting through that feeling as a player. Um, I just absorbed it and sucked it up and got out there and continued playing and now I'm playing at a really high level and I'm getting all these wonderful opportunities that I am so I think that's taught me that that uncomfortable feeling if you're passionate enough about something you just need to ride it out it's usually on the other side of that that all of my great achievements have come and all the things that I'm really proud of or accomplishments I've had since then in all different aspects of my life whether it's playing or in the media roles that I'm doing or in my other job midwifery there's just things in life that you never get to the point where you're like okay I'm ready to do this now I'm going to go on television or yep I'm ready to deliver a baby now they all come with that awful uncomfortable anxious Mm. this doesn't feel right but you just have to push through it and it's on the other side that you get rewarded so it it was a wonderful lesson that Whilst I would have loved to just be normal back then, it's I'm, I'm glad that I that I sat through it and learnt that. I'm going to ask you about your other job. We talked about the media job, but I'll talk about the midwifery a little bit later on. But one thing I do want to touch on is this journey where you're playing with the boys, but that comes to a stop because you get to a certain age and they won't allow you to play with the boys anymore. So where did your football journey go to then did you feel as though that that was putting a stop on it or did you feel as though okay I've got to find a way to keep this going yeah well it was under 13s was the cut off in our league that they'd initially said I'd have to stop playing and um, I was living just with dad by that stage my mum and all my brothers had moved to Melbourne because mum and dad had separated and Oh, I remember Dad <laughs> running out, buying me a membership. We barracked for Carlton. He bought me a membership for the AFL and a, a season's pass for the snow. He was trying to fill the void, knowing how much it was going to flatten me. He was trying to fill the void with all these other things that we could go off and do throughout the winter. But um, they weren't really cutting it, and I was still pretty down in the dumps. And on the eve of the season starting, he made this last-ditch trip down to Myrtleford where the league headquarters were. And he came back and I could play. So I don't. I still to this day don't know what happened or what changed or what he did. I don't think I want to know. But, yeah, I could play. So I was given a bit of a lifeline to keep playing through under-15s, um, which was wonderful. And it had been – this sounds crazy and kind of indicates how much I loved my footy. It was the reason – one of the biggest reasons why I stayed. When the rest of my family and mum packed up and left for Melbourne, I stayed in Bright partly because I didn't want to give up the footy. Um, and then partly because I being a bit different, tomboy, shy, not ready to face big bad Melbourne yet and had gotten comfortable in my little pocket of the world up in, in Bright, so didn't want to leave. But, yeah, got the lifeline to keep going for one more year in under-15s. Um, 
And then at the end of that year, I think I would have been able to play one more under-15 season, but I was then nearly 14, young girl, started wanting my mum back and moved to Melbourne to um, live with her. She'd had my younger brother and sister by that point and sort of felt like I was missing out on them growing up, so a bit of a pull back to family life. Um, so miss, I, I had a couple of years off footy. Um, Eltham High School, the school that I went to, in Melbourne had a really strong volleyball program. One of the PE teachers, Greg Thomas, had actually been coaching and involved in the Australian volleyball team for a long time. So they had a a subject and big sports program set up around volleyball. So that was the next best thing that I got into, thinking that that was the end of the footy journey. Did you miss footy at that time? Was it oh, like absolutely. someone had taken was, something away from you? Yeah, I missed it. I missed playing. And I still got my fix. I mean, I was running around in the park and I'd... Mm. Oh, we'd watch. I'd go to every Carlton game on the weekend, and any others that I could recruit a friend to go along with, and would kick. I'd I'd mainly be going to go and kick in the park at half time, and I was still getting my my footy fix most definitely. But um, volleyball, I really enjoyed. It was similar in many ways in terms of, I mean, the communication. A lot of the things I loved about footy, I was getting in volleyball, but it was never quite the same. I I was able to play at a pretty high level. I played for Victoria and um, was in the like AIS youth squad trials for a, a, a year there. But um, yeah, it was. Eventually, at school, they had their first ever um, women's tryout days for the school girls' footy team, which was like my lifeline back into footy. And mm. um, I still remember the notice board going up on the sports notice board where you write your name down for what team you wanted to play in. And mine was the first up under girls' footy. And two weeks later, as we're getting closer to the date <laughs> where the footy team was going to play, I think it was me and one other girl that <laughs> were on the list. So I had to put my recruiting hat on and, and gather a few more to make sure that we had a team. But um, yeah, eventually played school footy for Eltham and it was at the end of one of those matches, the school footy match, that the umpire came up to me and said, oh, you should play. And I sort of looked at her blankly as if to say didn't even know well, where you could if play. I could I would like yeah. I'm not um yeah tell me more and she told me about the Victorian Women's Footy League which it kind of says how underground it was because as footy mad as I was and absorbed in all things footy that I could see I didn't know about this competition and and she she told me all about it I rushed home that night madly searched what team I was going to play for and there were about four in the local area around Eltham, Diamond Creek being one of them, Heidelberg, but I was competitive and wanting to play at the highest level. I found the closest Premier Division team at the time and that was Darabin. And And that's where the story started. That's where the story starts and the weekly, twice-weekly trips on the 513 bus down to (laughs) Preston to get to training, it all began there. It was worth it though, wasn't it? Because how many premierships? We won 10 in that time. So How many best and fairest? Eight at Darabin. How many state rep? <laughs> yeah, six. It was, yeah, it's funny. Um, just a, I guess it's an example of fate I look back on and I could have easily gone to any of those other clubs, but I think, yeah, I, I was glad that I wanted to test myself at the highest level and um, it certainly paid off because I the year... The first year that I went down to play at Darabin, Peter Searle, who's now an assistant at St Kilda mm. Footy Club, um, that was her first year of coaching. And it was a year where um, the club itself was going under a big cultural 
I guess, reinvigoration. She had a real vision about what she wanted that club to be. And from that day onwards, since she came on board, and I guess myself and a few other players um, getting involved, it was well ahead of its time. And um, in terms of professionalism and culture and standards and that kind of thing, than what the league or any other women's football would de- team were demanding at that time. And I think it... Um, it has helped to shape and really accelerate how quickly women's football took off in this state and then more broadly across the country was what was happening at Darabin. I think it was a real kind of prototype for that shift. We'll talk about that huge step that happened on the other side of the break. Daisy Pierce is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives and we'll have more from Daisy after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Hope you're enjoying our chat with Daisy Pearce on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You spoke about the days at Darabin, Daisy, and then I guess the wheel started turning and there was the movement that the women's game might all of a sudden take the next step. Take us back to what you thought when you saw the crowd at Princess Park that night, the first of the women's matches. I don't think anyone could believe what happened that night. What were your feelings like? Oh, I was, I was working on the night for Channel Seven doing yeah. special comments, and if I, I think being on TV saved me from just bawling my eyes out because it was so. Oh, the word that comes to mind is it was so vindicating, like kind of just this feeling of see people do want to watch us, and it 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 is going to be well received and I think it was just such a relief in many ways. But it um, must have been beyond your wildest oh, absolutely. expectations. I mean, I was, they moved the game from, it was going to be at Olympic Park and they got the sense that, oh, maybe it, there'll be 5,000, hmm. 10 would be a good result. We better move it so that we can cater for everyone. 25,000 people was well beyond my wildest dreams and I, you just, Heading to the ground, I started to get this sense that it was going to be big. I mean, I was there ridiculously early to get ready to work on it and there were already heaps of people queuing up then and there was just this buzz and sense that it was going to be something amazing. And mm. it wasn't just the sheer numbers of people sitting in the crowd but the anticipation and the how engaged they were. It was just a special, special moment in time and one that I'll I'll never forget. And then I just remember thinking for my, you know, friends and people that were out there, they've gone from, you know, the most that we'd ever played in were a couple of thousand maybe and you know, at a VFL grand final or one of the exhibition games where a few came down. But 25,000 people, it would have been just, oh, yeah. tongue in your throat type stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. I can I can feel your excitement the way you're expressing it and it took me back to Austin Robertson who was one of Kerry Packer's lieutenants was a guest on this program and spoke about the night when World Series cricket actually came of age and they were at the SCG and they saw the crowds coming in and and that was the moment where basically World Series cricket became a successful entity. Mm. But your very first game in the competition it didn't take any warm-up games. No. From the word go this was a serious competition. Yeah, I think that was the other feeling too. The the, the crowd and then the next morning the papers full of um, the results and photos and images from the night, the lockout, Gillan McLaughlin having to go out and <laughs> appease angry fans that they hadn't been able to get in. That was this moment of it's here. And 
I don't have to worry about them taking it away from us anymore. We don't have to prove anything to make sure that we get another go next week. It's here and it's not going to go away. And I think, yeah, that was the the over overriding feeling. The competition's going to evolve. There'll be other teams coming into it in the next couple of years. And you spoke about the format now where it's cutthroat. Would you like to see a final series? Oh, absolutely. I think so. Um, going back to what I said about it taking time for teams to hit their straps. I mean, you, you only have to look at a team like Collingwood who started off a bit shaky, but arguably now one of the informed teams in the competition who, if there was a top four and a final series would be playing to make finals on the weekend. So from an engagement point of view, I think for fans and people that are, are watching and tuning in and also for us players, for your season to be alive for longer or for more team seasons to be alive for longer would only create a, a better spectacle. And, yeah, we have a final series in any other footy comp in the world. Yeah. Why not uh, in the country? Why not this one? <laughs> Do you think it'll ever get to the stage where it's totally professional or is that a pipe dream? Oh, I think it'll get there eventually. Yep, I think that's where it's headed. But it's an interesting one. I also sit on the AFL Players Association board and it's so interesting because as female players, we think utopia is let's get fully professional so that we can tip all of our time and energy and resources into being the best players we can be whereas for the male players now after 20 years of professionalism one of their biggest issues is the the difficulty that players are having transitioning out of the game once their careers are over so we're almost you know wanting completely different things we want more time to be at the football club and mm. more professional and be able to spend more time training and playing football whereas the male players are almost desperate for more flexibility and time so that they can develop other areas of their lives. So it's a it's an interesting lesson and I think it's one that we should look at very closely because a lot of the issues with male players, I mean, the number one issue and concern amongst the male cohort is mental health concerns. A lot of that stemming from, um, I guess, a a lack of an, a non-football identity when they leave the game, work, all of those considerations. Do we want that? Is that what we want to rush to achieve really quickly? And when we talk about us becoming professional, should we try and hang on to and preserve some of the things that whilst we don't think are great now, the fact that we have to come from work to go to football training, should we try and preserve some of that so that we can land somewhere in the middle? But um, ultimately, I think... I would like to see girls be able to do football as their career, which at the moment there's probably only a very, very small handful that can be supported off their football wage. We'll talk about your other wage when we come back on the other side of the break, the media stuff that we did touch on, and you'll be heard here on SEN throughout the season, but also the job that you mentioned as a midwife, we'll chat about that when we come back with our final segment with Daisy Pierce on the other side of the break. This is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year. Yeah! You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan.
Our final segment with Daisy Pearce on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You're very comfortable behind the microphone here. Daisy, was that something that came naturally to you, the progression into the media? <laughs> oh, I don't think naturally. <laughs> I haven't met a media presenter that said it came naturally. I think they all had a similar experience to mine. And going back to what I said earlier about that uncomfortable feeling of... Mm something that's new and challenging and unnatural like talking to a massive audience or in front of a TV camera or behind a microphone it it isn't natural um, but you've got the gift of making it appear natural that's oh, that's part of the reason that you good are fake, good at that's what you do fake it till you make it i think a lot of it i think has come from whilst not many people would have heard me or known about it for almost a 15 year period now um, knowing that if um, we were going to get more opportunities as female footballers or if this you know AFL league was ever going to take off we were responsible for promoting it so anytime anything came up to start pushing our agenda and trying to raise the profile of, of women's footy I was always putting my hand up for it free public speaking gigs at a school or anything. I was doing it with a a purpose to try and promote this sport. So a lot of it has come, you know, out of that passion and, and purpose. And I've been forced to just deal with the uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable feeling of public speaking or speaking in the media and slowly but surely just gotten better at it or, like you say, better at pretending I'm natural at it. Yeah. Um, and then I guess over the last couple of years, just trying to enjoy it and being a bit more comfortable in myself and not trying to prove anything or be anything other than who I am and what I'm passionate about has helped as well. I think the one thing that's really impressed me with what you've done in your media work, in particular with Channel 7, is the, the after-match interviews when you're talking to players. Now... Players can be funny creatures sometimes, and if they feel as though that someone is invading their space who doesn't deserve to be there, that can come across quite easily. That's certainly not been the case with you. It seems as though the relationship and the mutual respect is there between you and the players, or that's the way I read it. Yeah, I think um, I've felt that and would agree, and I think it is... I guess unusual most commentators aren't are no longer playing or don't play whereas a lot of the boys I, I suppose do see me as a as another player and um the the boys at Melbourne and all the players I come across, a lot of them are so rap taking off. So there's a real feeling of goodwill and them wanting the league to do well and me to do well in that position. So I, I think they do receive you warmly. Many of them have sisters that played and then could no longer play or stories of, you know, I remember in under 13s there was this girl who was a gun and I don't know whatever happened to her and now they've gone on to live out there childhood dreams so a lot of them are aware and have been touched by it in some way or at some point so I think that's what I represent to them and I do get a sense of of that warmth and I I suppose it it's it's lovely to be received that way. Naturally on a sporting program we're going to talk about your sporting jobs but I do want to touch on your other job a, a midwife how long have you been a midwife? I qualified. I did a double degree in nursing and midwifery and started working in 2011. So this is my seventh or eighth year on the on the job. It's been a crazy and very special, rewarding but demanding job. What's the most rewarding part about it? Because obviously it's a time comes where the relationship between yourself and the other person 
kind of finishes, but it must be hard to walk away sometimes because you're such a big part of that journey. Yeah, it is um, very intense. But I think the special thing about it, the most rewarding thing, is that you see women and families at their most vulnerable but also the most powerful and, mm. um, you know, joyous as well. So just the contrast and the the way that you can really help to shape that experience, I think, is something that you're very privileged to to have and um yeah no two days are the same it's like this beautiful cross-section of life um in all different forms I mean I got into the job I think I was really intrigued like my mum had children when I was a lot older and was always intrigued by the whole process of pregnancy and birth and remember some of mum's midwives when I'd go off and and go to some of her appointments with them and just being amazed at the impact that they could have on her so I think that's where I first you know got the idea or the the passion to want to do it but yeah I, I had this I guess um, naive view that it was going to be a man and a woman that come together and love each other and choose to have a baby and then they have the baby whereas the job itself is so much more than that and you learn about people and life in all its you know hardships and joy as well so it's it's so interesting and it's been such a amazing journey and experience the the baby part of it is only one small part of it you you get a real I guess insight into people's lives and and that's been a an amazing learning experience and just finally down the track if you're calling in your own midwife to deliver your child who may be a daughter in years to come and she comes to you one day and says mommy I want to play footy then will you tell her the story of how hard it was for you to be able to do that when you were a little girl growing up or will it just be accepted by them that that's the pathway, that they can do it? I'll try, but <laughs> reflecting on my own childhood and when my parents try and tell me that themselves, <laughs> whether she has any respect for it or not, I don't know. But no, I'm sure those storytelling, that storytelling will come out and, and the journey that that I've been on will will be something that I try and, you know, make her appreciate and and really, I guess, appreciate the opportunities that she, she now has in the game. But I certainly won't expect any credit for it it's been <laughs> from brilliant... anyone, let alone my own daughter. No, <laughs> I well, think that'll be the toughest crowd. <laughs> that's all still ahead of you in your, in your wonderful journey in football and in life. It's been a pleasure to sit down and talk to you. As I said, um, it's not often that we get people who have played less than 20 games, <laughs> but you have been such an important part of the women's game and the development. You should take a bow. Well done for what you're doing in the media, and we'll look forward to being with you on the microphone at some stage throughout the season. Thanks for coming in and having a chat. Thank you, Peter. In Enjoyed it. Daisy Pierce joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, and you can catch us at the same time next week right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.